Wow. Well, welcome once again to the Vineyard Community Church. Uh, we are glad to have you here. Excited to see our, our, our community growing in little numbers here and little numbers there um, and, and having the opportunity to grow our children's department and stuff like that. Um, but we also want to go deeper ourselves. And as we gather together um, this morning, we're continuing to press into this whole message out of Psalm 23. We're doing the whole of Psalm 23. Now, last week I challenged you, go ahead and read Psalm 23 every day. It's kind of like the Lord's Prayer. You know, you get to the place where you know you can kind of say it. Not, not that you need to rush through it, but it doesn't take hours and hours and hours to read six verses of Psalm 23. And there's verses that need to get inside of you. So what we're going to do is we're going to go ahead and read that again. Sarah did a great job, but I, I told you we're going to do it every week that we're together. So we're going to read this out loud. Now, first group, um, first church service um, at 930. I'm not sure what's going on there. Maybe they're a little drowsy, whatever the deal is. But... Um, um, you know, I, they don't understand that out loud means that we all say it together at the same time out loud. You know, some the Lord my shepherd. Listen, the Lord is my shepherd, man. You know, that's what David is saying. He is not saying like, the Lord is my shepherd and I'm going to die because I'm going through the valley of the shadow. He's not doing that. This is a victory march. I know that you have heard it most at funerals, and that's probably the second most famous scripture in the world, even to non-believers. They've heard somebody say, the Lord is my shepherd. Um, but the, the point was, David wasn't dying. God led him into a place where in the, in the presence of his enemies, God set a table so that he could see, David's not dying, I'm here to fight for David. And so David is triumphing, and this is a song. Remember, this is a song. And so he is just jamming on his little guitar. Um, back there, they called him Liars, L-Y-R-E. And so he's just jamming and enjoying this. I wish we had the tune. But let's read this, let's pray, and let's see what the Lord wants to do in our lives um, as we do that. So we're going to read this out loud, okay? So join me in this. Here we go. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for You are with me. Your rod and Your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. Father who is God in heaven, we want to thank you. We want to thank you that we're here we want to thank you for homecoming weekend. We want to thank you for family and friends gathered back together. We want to thank you for baby dedications. We want to thank you for the opportunity to worship you first person because we know that you're here. And so Holy Spirit, we have planned and, and, and we've made arrangements and, and we've picked songs. And, but if you need to wreck this, then God, we just invite you to wreck it. Because we want to make you famous. We're here for you. We love you because you loved us first. And we want to proclaim with David, the Lord, He is my shepherd. Because Lord, I believe. And I want to thank You for that in Jesus' holy name. Come Holy Spirit and be upon us to teach us and instruct us what You want. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
I don't know about you, but I really love seeing that opening. Our media team did an outstanding job of going out and getting some video credits down at um, Silver Creek and all like that, if you recognize that. And I don't know, we borrowed somebody's sheep to do that, and I think they put a number on it so we wouldn't lose it or something. I'm not sure. You know, if you let the church, will you get it back? Uh, you know, with the sheep, I don't know. Um, but it was awesome. It's just like super, super, super peaceful. And I could just watch that thing on loop. I actually have it on my computer so that I could, I could see it. But, man, I can just watch that thing on loop because it takes me back to my youth. I wasn't raised in a really good environment. It wasn't very healthy. It was difficult at best. And so I always found myself outside. In the wintertime, um, we happened to live up in the New England states. I'm from New England, but we happened to live up there at that time. And, and, and if I wasn't in school, then I was slipping out into the woods, and I would find a pine tree with low-hanging branches, and I would break off other branches, and I would build a fort. And I would go out there, and I would crawl into this fort in my big parka with my big snorkel hood parka, and I would just sit there, and I would just sleep. I would just rest. I wasn't hunting or anything. I was just a kid hiding from a difficult situation. But I loved the peace of being outside, having been raised to know that there was a God, but I didn't have a relationship with Him. I still was aware of it. And it was amazing to hear animals and then in the summertime and this is where this one's really um, close to my heart when summer came i was like barefoot shorts a t-shirt and i was out the door and i stayed away from the house until eight or nine o'clock at night if i could and there were times that i would just go out and find a little field or a little clearing that had some grass and i just would lay down and just let the sunshine just be on me i just liked being outside and then there were times I found snakes and brought them home to my mom, and she hated me for it, and it was, no, she didn't hate me. She was just like, take them to somebody else's house, please. And I was like, no, these are awesome. And so that's, just, that's what outside meant for me. I was just a typical kid, loved being out there. And so when I read this, the Lord is my shepherd. He makes me to lie down, and I shall not want. He, wants, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. That's where I go. My head goes to those fields that I used to sleep in, I used to lay down in, and it's great. What I want to look at today is he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And as we read this, I just want to say that as sheep of the, the, best, the best shepherd out there, David is, is depicting for you and I that this shepherd is taking us someplace. You ever thought about that? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me. He leads me. He leads me. That means the shepherd is always taking us someplace. We're not supposed to be satisfied with where we are. We want to be where the shepherd is, and he'll take us someplace to get us satisfied. But we are on the move with God, if you make the metaphor and make the jump. But it's, it's like, man, we're going someplace. He's providing for us. And we're looking at that aspect of it. Now, the, the thing that I keep getting hung up on is where it says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. And I don't want you to lose that. That word is reba in the Hebrew language, and it means he makes us lay down, okay? It's used that he makes us lay down. Now, in my head, real quick, there's only one other place in the scripture that I see it written that way, and it's in Matthew chapter 14, and there it would be in the Greek. 
But Jesus comes off of the mountain after he's fed 5,000 men besides women and children, so about 10,000 people. He's coming down off the mountain. He goes to the water's edge, and the Scripture says, don't take my word for it, it says, and he made them get in the boat. Speaking of the disciples. And, and if you look that up in the Greek, it means he compelled them. He forced them to get in that boat. And so when I'm reading this, I'm thinking, what is the deal? He makes me lie down in green pastures. And I think there are times in our lives when, when we live life so fast and we're so busy and there's so much going on that God will come to you because he loves you so much and he will make you slow down. I believe that he will lay you down. Now, I, I'm, not, I'm not up here preaching that God's going to bring wickedness and break your legs and put you in a car accident, but I will tell you this, if you find yourself there, you may need to ask yourself, Lord, what are you doing? And the Lord is going to say, I'm making the best of a bad situation because now I've got your attention. Lay down. Man, we live in a world where we've got noise, we've got stereos, we've got TV, we've got the internet, we've got our iPad, we've got our iPod, we've got our iPhone, we've got I, everything going on in our head, and, and it's just crazy, and we can't be quiet. I have a big problem sitting still. I just can't do it. In our society, you've been raised to think that if you're not being productive 18 out of 24 hours a day, then you're, not, you're lazy. You're, you, you, you need to rethink. And that is not true. Jesus did not live that fast of a lifestyle. We are called to be quiet. And I just, turning off the noise, I mean, I'm good for, I, mean, I, can, I can turn it all off and I can be quiet, man, for almost 15 or 20 seconds. I, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to stretch it out to 30 and then I'm going to go 45 and sooner or later I'm going to do a whole minute. But I came in this morning, I couldn't sleep last night, and so I woke up early, I got to church about 6, 6.15, something like that, and I just went into my office, and this was my plan. I'm going to go into my office, and I'm going to be really quiet in the presence of God. I'm just going to sit, I'm going to read, I'm reading John 10, I'm going through the Good Shepherd there too, it's crazy how God does that. But I'm reading that, and I thought, I'm just going to be quiet in the presence of the Lord. And, and seriously, I lasted about 25 seconds, and then I thought, I'm going to get my guitar, I'm going to sing a song to Jesus, he's going to love this. He loves when I sing a song to him. So it's like, I, because I can't sit still. And so honestly, ladies and gentlemen, I think there are times in your life where God takes you and he says, hold on, boom. And he says, now, just lay here for a minute. A season, a couple of weeks, a couple of days. Sit still. I need you to stop moving. You know why? Because he wants to provide for you. Because he wants to love you. Because he wants to talk with you. Because he wants you to be so familiar with his voice and with who he is and his provision for you. But it doesn't happen when you're go, 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 go all the time. When was the last time you sat down with your Bible and were just still with God? When was the last time you had a great prayer time Lord, I want to pray for this and my church and my leaders. And, and I'm, oh God, this is going to be such a great day. And then you jumped up and ran off. Instead of sitting still and letting God say something. He wants to talk to you. He really does want to talk to you. 
So I'm thinking about this, and I'm thinking, I wonder why King David says he makes me, he forces me to lay down. And then I remembered. And I wonder if this is true for sheep like it is for cattle. For 10 years, I served a church in western Oklahoma, and for 10 years, two weeks out of the spring and two weeks out of the summer, I got to cowboy. I got to get on my horse, and other than having the sermon ready for Sunday morning, I got to go work with the families that were raising cattle. You know, like 2,000 at a time raising cattle, putting 200 in this field, 150 in that field, and we were you know, driving around depending on which family I got to work with. But this is how it went. Big old semis would pull up to the field, pull up to 320 acres of wheat that was about that tall in, uh, in September uh, and, and uh, November. In that, in that period of time, the wheat grows up because they sowed it, and it's great. They sowed it in June. And then when the fall comes, they put the cattle on the wheat. The wheat eat the cattle, and then when all winter... And then when um, spring comes in March, you take the cattle off the wheat and the wheat will still grow and make wheat. It really will. It'll make 40, 50, 60, sometimes more bushel per acre. Absolutely. Sometimes it goes way low, but it will make that kind of wheat that these people can make a living off of, it, of doing this. But here's the deal. These semis would back up to one field, and there would be eight or ten cowboys out there on their horses, and I love doing that. And so we're out there on our horses, and we're way, way, way back. And they just start dumping off these 450-pound steers and heifers. They just start dumping them off and dumping them off and dumping them off. And then what happens is, once the trucks are done, all of the cowboys move in, and we, we kind of pressure the cattle to the middle of the field, and we circle them just far enough away that they won't run, but close enough that they're wondering what we're doing. And the cattle, it's called settling the cattle. We're making them stand still. Some of them will just flat lay down but we're making them stay there. I'm going to be honest with you, the first time I ever got to do that, I asked the family, it's like, man, I'm just out here sitting on my horse. There's no yeehaw, there's no rope swinging, there's no nothing going on. It's like, come on. And they're like, we want the cattle to settle. And it's like, why? They've got 320, 640 acres out here of wheat that they can eat. And they said, we need the cattle to stand still. I said, what's the science behind that? They said, as, as farmers, as ranchers, we make money when we put weight onto cattle. We bring the cattle in at 400, we hope to send them out at 800, okay? And so we bring these cattle in and we make, the, if you bring cattle in and all they do for the next six months is run, all of the food going in the front end is going out the back end too fast. See, they're not putting weight on. And so you settle the cattle and they'll stand still. And it's like, oh, I said, what happens if we don't settle the cattle? They say, they won't stop walking. If you just dump them out of the truck into a field, they'll just walk the perimeter of the fence to see where the fence is, define where they are, and they just kind of keep meandering. They're not running, but they never stop walking, and so they're building tight muscle instead of fat muscle. See? And tight muscle doesn't make you as much money as fat muscle does. And I wonder if the same thing is true of us as sheep. That sometimes when God puts us in a place and he says, now sit still, we get up because we can't stand not doing our homework, not studying, not um, planning, not working, not making money, not dreaming about what we're going to do next. We can't sit still. I wonder sometimes if that's not our problem. If in some of your lives, you're just walking in circles. 
and it feels like you're not getting anywhere. I know in my own personal life, if I'm sedate, I put on weight pretty quick. So I know that whole science works. So I walk (laughs) to try to keep some of it off. But I wonder, if you're looking for God and you're wondering what's going on, if the problem isn't that you're walking and you're walking and you're walking and you're not listening to the voice of the Good Shepherd, there's a strong possibility that you're trying to play it out spiritually in your mind, but you're not ending up in a good place. Not a bad place, but maybe not a good place. I'm reading John 10, I told you. So let me just share these six verses out of the beginning of that. Jesus says, very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, and I love that. He says, I'm talking to you Pharisees. Now, right before in John um, 9, he's speaking to the Pharisees. They're asking him questions. They're trying to push his button. And he says, verily, truly, I tell you Pharisees, listen to me, you religious, church-going people. And, and, And I don't think he's being sarcastic and nasty. He's just saying, listen, you church people. If I I move this forward to you and I, listen, you church people, anyone that does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep will listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow them because they know his voice. They follow Him. He doesn't drive them. He doesn't have a switch. They follow Him. And that's God speaking to you saying, Hey. And He calls your name and you say, That's my name. That's my shepherd. He's calling me. I can go. I get out of the pen. And the other sheep have to stay there. And that's too bad. But we hear His voice. And so we follow Him. The Scripture says they will not, never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from Him because they don't recognize a stranger's voice. And Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what He was telling them. Didn't understand. But that's the picture for you and I that Jesus is giving us. That He wants us to be settled. He wants us to lay down in green pastures where He's providing for us. He's right there watching over us. And He wants to be there for you. But you're too busy running around. Life is going crazy. And you're saying, where is God? Where is God? Where is God? And God is saying, sit still. Take some time. Open up your Bible. You will find me right there in the pages. The Holy Spirit wants to come into your heart while you're reading that or while you're just being quiet. Give Him that opportunity. Do not run around and run around and run around. But I got to thinking about this. If God is making me lay down, if He's making me lay down, what what, um, qualifications or, or what has to happen for me to be able to lay down? As a sheep. As a sheep. What is it that helps me to lay down. And I want to share these, things, these four things with you. Now, I told you I've been reading A Shepherd's Look at Psalm 23 by Philip Keller. It's an old, old, old book, probably 50s or 60s. That's when it was written, something like that. Outstanding book. And Philip made these four points because he was a shepherd. And I latched onto these points, and I really got into the spiritual aspect of these four points. If you and I as sheep are going to lay down what four things have to be in place. The first one is, the sheep have got to be free from fear. If the sheep are afraid, they will never stop moving. 
Do you know that sheep are very skittish animals? Again, their, their first defense, we talked about this last week when we were getting deep into sheep, okay? Somebody make a t-shirt about that. Man, we got deep in sheep at church today, okay? All right, when you're getting deep into sheep, their biggest defense is their ability to run. And that is why Jesus used the metaphor, he left the 99 out in the open, because if you put them in a pen, they're dead meat the first time a wolf jumps over it. They can't get out. All right, so they can run. Crazy thing is, sheep are kind of odd that way. We had about 100 of them on the farm when I was there, and you could walk up and go, boot to one of them, and it, ah, and it takes off running, and all the other sheep take off running too. And the other sheep don't even know that I scared the first sheep. They just saw the first sheep run. And so they took off, and it's like, ah! And everybody says, ah! And while they're running, they're like, what are we running from? And I'm going to be honest with you, at that point, you're just running from the slow guy. Because on the outside chance there's a wolf, you only have to outrun one. Okay? The wolf will get the slow guy. Just outrun him. And you're in good shape. But that's the picture. They have to be free from fear. And the shepherd being in their life or having a tight, close relationship with the shepherd begins to take away the fear. The shepherd is here. It can happen. Sheep can be butting each other like this and, and knocking into each other and doing all kinds of things. But when the shepherd shows up, the sheep are like, ah, the shepherd's here, the shepherd's here. And then they kind of meander that way. Cattle are the same way if you raise them right. Cattle will be out in the field doing every little thing. And they're doing all that. And they're out there. But as soon as the, the, the rancher shows up, if he's used to being fed, um, they come running. Hey, calf, hey, calf. Over the hill they would come. I raised 20 of them just to get the feel for what does it mean to raise cattle. And I fed them every day. And every day I fed them. I said, hey, calf. And when they heard my voice, here they came over the hill. And there's peace in their life because... Joe's there because the shepherd's there because he's going to take care of us. Sheep have to be free from fear. Fear that somebody will find out what your biggest sin is, even though you've been forgiven. We live in fear, and God says, take that coat off. I'm telling you right now, people that will reject you because of a sin you committed that you've been forgiven for are not the kind of people you want to hang around with. There is forgiveness and absolution, move on. The blood of Jesus paid for it. If we can't forgive one another, we're going to live the rest of our lives in fear. There's no doubt about it. Fear that you'll be left alone. If you have to have another human being meet your need in order to be a fulfilled person, then you've got to stop and look at yourself and say, why are you living in fear? When you don't need somebody, but rather you want to spend your life with somebody you begin to uh, come away from that fear. But people live in fear that they're going to be lonely the rest of their lives. People live in fear that they won't be good enough. People won't want them around because somehow they're not good enough. Fear that nobody will love you. We live in fear. And I'm telling you, when we begin to live in fear, we will not live our lives. Paul said this. He said, listen, um, you know, the idea of living in fear of death, if the trumpet doesn't blow in our lifetime, you're going to die. That's, that's a given. If the trumpet blows, you're going to die. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. Because the Scripture says that that corrupt body that you're in, this one right here, it has to put on an incorrupt body in order to get to heaven. 
That means this one has to stay here. That's the definition of dying. Listen, it's okay. The goal of Christianity is not to stay on the planet. So living in fear that I might die or living in fear that somehow my medical thing will run out or living in fear, it's like we can't do that. This is what Paul said. Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He says, I want to go home. I'm just going to be straight up with you, Paul said. I want to go home. But it's better for you if I stay here. But I don't know what God's going to do. So I think I'm just going to stay here, basically, until God calls me home. But whatever I do, it's going to be profitable for the kingdom of heaven. Because I'm still going to be here and I'm going to help you grow up in Christ. But if I die, woohoo, I win. I'm in heaven. I'm with God. If we're going to live our lives in fear of death, you are never going to live your life. If I'm going to live my life in fear of riding on a motorcycle and killing myself, if I'm going to live my life in fear of jumping off the mountain in a flying suit, if I'm going to live my fear in what people think of me, if I'm going to live my fear in not getting good enough grades, if I'm going to live in fear of she's going to say no if I ask her out, if I'm going to live in fear of Maybe I should go on a date with him. Maybe it'll be all right. Maybe it'll be kind of nice. He's a nice guy. He goes to church. If I'm going to live in fear of saying, you know what, I don't need somebody in an apartment with me I'm not married to. If I'm going to live in fear of being alone, I wonder if I'm ever really in the presence of God. See? Because sometimes we're going through stuff and it really is okay. Paul told Timothy this, he said, For God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. But we're afraid to go over to that person and ask him if we can pray for him. We're afraid to invite that family into our house for dinner. We're afraid to stretch ourselves out. We're afraid to give. We're afraid to say. We're afraid to do. And why? Because we're worried about what people think of us. We don't have to do that. We don't have to be afraid of that we can trust God we can be free from fear if we choose to process it out the second thing is they need to be free from friction oh let me no, hold on let me say this fear is the currency I'm backing up on you sorry fear is the currency of the enemy do you understand that if you're gonna interact with the enemy it's it's fear they won't like you it's not gonna happen it's not your church they won't let you be a part you can't do this can't do that you're gonna get fired Nobody at work likes you. You're gonna, they're going to pitch you. It goes on and on. It's the currency of the devil. Okay, number two. They need to be free from friction. If sheep are going to lay down, they have to be free from fear so that they don't have to run. They have to be free from friction, from church people bumping into each other, saying, I don't like you. You can't be in my small group. I don't want this. I don't like that person over there. They're just nasty, and they were mean to me one time. If if we're going to continue as Christian people on this planet getting at each other and judging one another and being mean and nasty to one another, then who's going to want to be a part of that kind of a kingdom? Who are we representing at that point? We don't have to do that. Friction is the disease of the enemy. Be nitpicky. Oh, if they knew who that was, they wouldn't let them be a greeter. If they knew what was going on there, they wouldn't let this. If they didn't know, listen, we're all sinners. I'm not saying sin is okay. Sin has got to stop. But it's a journey. It's a journey. 
until we get home. We're going to continue to struggle on this planet, but we have to say, I want to come away from sin and then do it. Jesus told the woman, go and sin no more. In the book of Proverbs, this whole friction thing, in the book of Proverbs, chapter 6, verse 16 through 19, it says this, and I want you to pay attention to this, okay? It says, there are six things the Lord hates. Do you see that? It says, there are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable. The appropriate way to read this in, in the Hebrew language is, there are six things the Lord hates, the seventh is an abomination. It's detestable, okay? And then it starts listing them. So there are six, but that last one, man, that last one is bad, nasty. Okay? Let's look at them. These are the things the Lord hates. Haughty eyes. You know what I'm talking about? Like, I'm better than you. Like, what you talking about? You stay over there. You know, haughty eyes. I'm better than you. You're not as good as me. Just stay away from me. Eyes that are what we would call today full of themselves. Okay? Haughty eyes. All right. A lying tongue. My fish was just about that big. Okay, I think he's thinking more than fish. But people that are quick to lie. Quick to lie. You know why we lie? You know why people lie? Because they're afraid, number one. Because they're living in fear. If somehow my story's not better than yours, you might not like me. I might not be okay. You might reject me. It's crazy. I'm trying to defend myself. Lying tongue. Hands that shed innocent blood. Don't kill people. A heart that devises wicked schemes. Mean girls and mean guys. It doesn't have to be big schemes. It can be little schemes. Think it through, okay? Feet that are quick to rush into evil. A false witness that pours out slander against everybody else. Those are the six things that God hates. Now the seventh is an abomination. And look what it says. And a person that stirs up conflict in the community. Do you know what she said? Do you know what he did? I don't think he's following God on that. I don't think he should. Oh, my word. Can you see? Well, you know, that worship team, they're just not doing right. Well, you know, and all we do is nitpick, 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 and we do it to everybody, and we just start sowing what the Scripture will call discord. We just try to take it out of cord, take it out of harmony, take it out of unity, and we just go around and we pick, 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 pick until everybody sees it our way. Always bumping heads, always fighting, always anger, always trying to tear other people down in order to lift themselves up. Like a child that constantly acts up. But listen, that child's acting up out of fear. That child needs somebody to come alongside of them and say, hey, let's walk together for a while. What are you afraid of? You don't have to be scared. Nobody's going to hurt you. A spirit of fear will carry out and present itself, project itself in pushing and shoving and things like that. The third thing sheep need is they need to be free from parasites. Parasites are the enemy. Parasites are the enemy. Excuse me, yeah, are the servants of the enemy. There is a very real enemy out there, ladies and gentlemen, and Peter tells us that in, in uh, 1 Peter 5. He does. He tells us that there is a very real enemy, and yet... Christian people everywhere are like, no, the enemy and the devil and demons, that's a euphemism or a metaphor for things going bad or people doing mean things. That's, that's not what, my, what I see written in the Scripture. 
That's not what I say. Look what Peter says. Be sober and vigilant because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He's just like, ah, and he wants to devour. Peter, Peter believed in a very real devil. Christian people everywhere relegating the demonic to Hollywood, like believing in spirits is only for simple people. But Paul says to the church in Corinth, and no wonder for Satan himself, and man, you, especially at Halloween, get a hold of this scripture. No wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. It is not surprising, then, if his servants also masquerade as servants of righteousness. Their end will be what their actions deserve. People that are sowing discord in the church, and Paul says, listen, that's the enemy, that's the devil using them. That's demons. They look good, they sound good, but they're off by three degrees just enough to take you away from where you're supposed to be going and what you're supposed to be doing. He's saying there is a real enemy out there, and you better open up your eyes because he wants to kill you. Jude, in the book of Jude, says, but even the archangel Michael, wait, that's an angel. He believed in angels, too. An arch, Mike, uh, the archangel, archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not dare to condemn him for slander, but said, the Lord rebuke you. So Jude believed. And then Jesus tells us in Matthew 17, this kind of demon, okay, only comes out through prayer and fasting. Okay, so the guy that said he's going to die and then uh, three days later is going to raise himself or his father is going to raise him from the dead and then he pulled it off, believes in demons. Number one, I'm going to follow a guy that can say, I'm going to let them kill me. Three days later, I'm going to be raised from the dead and then can make it happen with enough first-person um, contacts that they had to come to terms with it. Only one raised from the dead as a god on this planet. And then he said, there are demons. So I'm going to believe that. So Jesus believed in demons, Paul believed in demons, Peter believed in demons, Jude believed in demons, and Jesus also said this about demons, though, Behold, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you by any means. Ne uh, nevertheless, do not rejoice in that, that the spirits are subject to you. Do you see that he said the spirits are subject to you? He's talking about demons, and he's talking about the enemy, and he says they are subject to you. You are not subject to them. They are subject to you. But rather rejoice because your names are written down uh, in heaven. And I love that. I love that because here recently I got a post from somebody that said, hey, what do you think about this? And somebody in his church was saying, hey, I want to have a prayer meeting because the pagans in the world have said that two or three days ago was going to be the day that they come together and that they, they do incantations and they cast spells and hexes on all the Christian people in the world. And that's what's going on. I don't know if you saw that going on or you saw what the pagans were doing. And I'm saying, who cares? I don't believe in hexes. I don't believe in incantations. And I can tell you right now, ladies and gentlemen, I do not believe in spells I believe in an enemy that's trying to kill you I believe in demons that are so pretty that you'll chase after them not so horrible that you'll run to the cross for salvation see we accept the Hollywood version and we don't realize that we're falling into a trap you don't have to be afraid of demons Get together and pray? Absolutely. Knock yourself out, but not in fear. 
Not because you're scared. Man, stand up there and say, I'm praying because we got authority. Push back the darkness. Let's go. Get out. You're not welcome here. Man, we did a prayer training out there in that about two, three years ago. We were doing a prayer training out there, and we got to the place where I was standing up like this. A woman just right there fell, boom, what? Just like that, and started right there. And people were looking at me like you are right now. Are you out of your ever-loving mind? <laughs> no, I'm not. It was a demonic manifestation. And a couple of ladies came over, and they started praying over her. And so I just stepped back up here where I belong, and people were looking at me, and I said, whoa, 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 these ladies will take care of that. It, we, man, we didn't have to call a pastor in. We didn't have to call you know, the, the national director of the vineyard churches to come to our church to handle this. You can handle it. The fullness of God resides in Christ, and Christ resides in you. The fullness of God resides in you. And so we push back and we don't live in fear because it's Halloween. Give me a break and get out of here, whoever you are. The last thing, and I'm going to wrap it up now, is that they need to be free from hunger. They need to be free from hunger. See, hunger is the distraction of the enemy. Are you distracted? Are you living a distracted life? Or are you walking with God? Let me ask you this. In the last, if you've been a Christian for five years, has your language got better or worse? Do you spend more time with Jesus or less time with Jesus? Do you invest in the kingdom of God or are you still spending everything on yourself? Just, I mean, I, I'm not here to judge you. I'm just saying ask yourself these questions because they're leading questions. See? We should, becoming, we should be becoming more wholesome in our lives in our walks do you still rage do you get so angry so fast and you rage are are you trying to deal with it personal issue of mine back in the day that I've come a long way but can still go further I can get angry I can thankfully I've got people around me that call me out challenge me to become a better person what's distracting you used to be Xbox distracted me sometimes it's everyday life what's keeping you from spending time with Jesus on a regular basis not that there's some place in here that says you got to spend an hour and a half with Jesus every day but guess what Jesus got up early in the morning and went out to the Mount of Olives and spent time with his dad as was his custom and guess what that guy said he would die be raised from the dead and then he pulled it off if it was good enough for him then I'm going to keep trying to do that in my life too. See? And keep on going. When the enemy comes and causes you to doubt, it awakes a hunger inside of you that can't be filled by anything but God, but he throws everything at you to fill it with. We might throw, fill it with sex, might fill it with fun, with stuff, with friends, with experiences, with all of the, if I only had, then I would. Things that you can dream up. Inside of your life you think, guess what? If I get a, an invitation to go do this job and they pay me twice as much, do you understand that that could as easily be the devil as it is God? Because suddenly all of that wealth becomes a distraction. See? And so you've got to be very, very careful to do that. Hunger is a want. 
And when we begin to want, and it's not wrong to want some things, don't, don't, don't hear me say that, but when we inside just really begin to want, what we're saying is, God, what you're doing is not good enough for me. And we don't want to say that to a shepherd that we're saying, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The good thing is that God can take our hunger and turn it into desire in a heartbeat. Desire for purpose, desire for meaning, desire for understanding, desire for reconnecting, desire for something bigger than life and earth, desire to know the Father, desire for God. In the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 3, the scripture says he's made everything beautiful in its time, and he has put eternity into their hearts, except that no one can find out the work that God does from beginning to end. The writer of the book of Ecclesiastes says that inside of you is this spot that's meant for God. And we go through life trying to find out why our life doesn't have purpose, and it's because we're not letting God be that. We're trying, trying to fill it with all the things. I'm not saying have fun. Those of you that know me know that my goal is to have as much fun on this planet as I can because God put me here. But I'm going to do it while I'm chasing after Jesus. and I'm going to hold it with an open hand. And if God asks for it, he gets it. It's his to begin with. He can give it back to me if he wants me to have it again. But God can't pour a blessing into full hands. God can't pour a blessing into a life that is so full that we don't have time for God. It just spills everywhere. We're supposed to be pouring that blessing into other people's lives. But maybe you don't know a good shepherd. Maybe you don't have that relationship with the shepherd. Or maybe you're out there and you're wandering and you wonder why your life's going nowhere. And it's probably because you might not be listening to the shepherd. Oh, we're doing spiritual things. But are we listening instead of talking? Are we opening up the Word or just wait until Sunday or you know Tuesday night Bible study or small group? And God wants to do something in your life. Maybe you're living in fear. Maybe you're living in hunger. Maybe you're tired of being bit up by parasites and bugs that are trying to infect your life. And that's demonic. And you just feel like no matter what you do, something's coming against you. And we want to pray for you. Maybe you're here and you're just like, man, I'm going through something. I don't know if it fits in any of those categories. I don't know about sheep, but I know God. <laughs> I just want God. And we want to pray that down on you. Because life changes. And sometimes it changes fast. And sometimes it's scary. And we need to recapture the ground that says, I don't have to live in fear. Can we pray for you today? Let's come up to our feet. We're going to go into this closing song. If that's you and you want prayer this morning, just come on up here right now. These people will talk to you and lead you into what's going on. But we would love to pray with you. There's no sense in like coming if, if we're not going to just say, God, I, I want to hear it, but I want to embrace it. I want, I want it in my heart, God, because God's got something for you. To